and away we go. Uh, we are back. It's been how many years, Mike, or months? I, I don't know. Was it 40,000? It, it's some number. It's been a long time, and we're back talking about 40K. And uh, not a lot has really happened, has it? Yeah, I mean, we've been <clears throat> getting some releases, like hints and releases from um, of information, at least, from Games Workshop. But this whole uh, quarantine thing has put a real damper on my hobby. Yeah, same here. I don't know about you, but I have been uh, very not motivated at all to do any kind of painting at all. And I kind of thought it was going to be the opposite, but, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'm by myself there, but how about you? Yeah, I mean, so I've been working from home, and so by the time I get done with my work day, I don't want to be anywhere near a desk. And so even though I've got all my painting stuff, like, right here, it's like, nope, I'm going to go watch a movie or something. I just, I'm done. Yeah, it's just easier, right? Yep. <clears throat> I hear uh, you. So. Well, uh, tonight we're recording our, uh, like, 25th or 26th podcast, something like that. Like, we've done a bunch of these in the last year here, so... You know, at this point during the year, I was expecting us to be right in the middle of tournament season. And obviously with everything going on, that's kind of stymied things. So we, we actually haven't done anything this year in terms of tournaments. But that hasn't meant that there hasn't actually been a tournament. Um, and as it turns out, uh, this past, I think this past weekend, there was an uh, event in San Antonio, uh, which was the Alamo GT. And... Normally I would have been out there, but uh, I wasn't out there due to the the virus situation and just kind of taking it easy and hanging out here. But my teammate Colin McDade happened to travel out there, and he's been nice enough to join us this evening. Colin, how you doing, man? Thank you, David. Great to be here. Uh, first off, I wanted to say that I have not been hit with that kind of hobby blues feeling <laughs> that y'all were talking about earlier. I think I've probably painted, uh, God, like six armies. I've painted on at least six armies. I think I've model count. I've probably finished about one and a half to two armies though. But, uh, so it's been really productive for me. I was actually uh, just joking. I did not expect you to have finished that many models, but if you've actually done that, that's seriously impressive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean like, uh, just with the, the Harlequins I've been painting on, I mean like that's, four eight just eight characters alone and then all the uh troop players i've done the bikes transports uh characters from my other armies like my death watch wasp master um i've been painting on some sisters did a little bit of my custodes did a bunch of my gray knight characters rebased like all my strike marines that was a pain repainted some of my terminators and strike models that were like kind of meh paint quality from like back when like Grey Knights first came out and I'm like well I'm a better painter now so let's repaint at least their armor and made them got them up to a better uh quality standard to a lot of my newer stuff that I've done and I painted a couple new models as well for my Grey Knights with the uh with like the new code with the new co- with the new uh ritual of the damned rules I kind of updated them and yeah. and uh, made some new character combinations that are good now with the new codex. So it sounds like you've been kind of like all over the place with, you know, just painting the stuff you've wanted to paint. Um, oh but, yeah. Uh, and, I've, and I've even, uh, 
I've been building uh, some new stuff too. Like I've got, I'm looking at 20, uh, 20 scions I've converted from solar auxilia models too. Expensive conversion project. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, it's pretty interesting. So if you've been doing a bunch of this hobbying work, what did you, so what did you focus on taking out to San Antonio? And maybe that's a good segue into how the event went and what you saw. Well, uh, I took my Grey Knights to San Antonio. Uh, before the whole pandemic started, I was in Louisiana on a work assignment, and I was working on them there because I wanted to get them ready for the upcoming tournament season because that was going to be my tournament army for the season because I really like the rules, and they're probably one of my favorite armies in 40K. Yeah, uh, you, I like you have a history with them, right? Yeah, I've been playing them ever since before the 5th uh, edition Codex came out. Like I've got a, I, I had a huge metal army of them. Uh, back when they were still in the Demon Hunters Codex, I kind of played. And I played them through Fifth Edition. I even played them mostly through Sixth Edition, and uh, probably like halfway through Seventh Edition, I think. Uh, even though the codexes weren't near as good in uh, in Sixth and Seventh, but uh, but it was I, they're still a fun army to play with, and I'm really glad that they're viable again now. Probably towards the top, just because of what other armies are good right now. But uh, and that kind of helped me out with the uh, with the Alamo GT, given the current state of the meta. So that's probably a good <laughs> that's probably a good point to just ask, like, how was the tournament run? I mean, we're we're still in this pandemic at the moment, and there's obviously, you know, different ways different places are managing it. Mm-hmm. How did they run the event and what were the things like, what did they do that was a lot different from say your normal GT that you would go to? So I guess if you're most, most organizers, I feel like have a hard time uh, getting enough space or I guess having enough space to where they can spread out where people aren't really up close against each other. Uh, and if y'all have been to Alamo in the past or like, uh, for those of you that have not been to Alamo, that have been to maybe like one of the uh, one of the bigger tournaments like uh, LVO, you can imagine how crowded it was moving around. Well, that was not the case at Alamo. We had 28 players play, and David Villarreal, the organizer who pretty much ran and prepared the entire event himself this year, uh, he made it to where every table was six feet apart from one another. Uh, so like. If you basically, if you stood eight inches away from the edge of the table on your side of the table, you would have six feet between you and your opponent. If you did that, and you had at least six feet between where you're where you're playing at and the table next to you, so it was really nice being able to move around that room a lot more easily than in years past, where it's like just like right, uh, I guess yeah. like lanes, so to speak. Yeah, it was that was a nice uh, change of pace, and it was a lot quieter than there. Because uh, you don't have you didn't, people in there, so I can easily. <laughs> you didn't lose your voice day two. Right? Yeah, you can easily. You, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't lose my voice at all. It was really, uh, it was really relaxed, very chill. Uh, I usually don't drink at tournaments, but I actually did drink at this tournament. I drank a good amount uh, day one and day two. I brought a, I brought a bunch of uh, mead, mead with me from a meadery that I stopped by on the way to San Antonio, and I uh, shared that with everyone and drank it myself and. For those of you that don't know what meat is, it's honey wine. Uh, just fun fact. It's a classic drink. Oh yes, it's one of the it's one of the oldest forms of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
so yeah so how did the uh how did the matches end up going for you uh you know it's pretty interesting uh my first matchup i fought against admec i was not expecting to face an admec list uh they've they've been kind of like a under the radar type army i think for like the past year and a half they actually do can do pretty well especially if they're allied in of like some imperial stuff but uh this list wasn't, I guess, wasn't the most optimized version of an Admech list you could run. He didn't really have much, uh, much screening elements. And he didn't have the Scorpius Disintegrators. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, well, he has no ignore line of sight shooting. So my green actors just kind of run all, run all over him, which was pretty much what happened. So help me out here. So I'm, I'm really not up to speed on Admech. What is the Disintegrator and why mm-hmm. would that have been a problem for you? So the Scorpius Disintegrator has the Belarus Energy Cannon, which is a strength six minus one, two damage weapon. That's three to three shots. It ignores line of sight, but not cover. So Ooh. that's the only thing. That's the only thing in that the Admech list, to my knowledge, that can ignore line of sight. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if he had that, as long as he was only shooting at my Paladins in cover, then I would still be getting a two up save against those those guns but that was the only thing that he could have brought in his list to basically even try to damage my paladin's bomb which uh which he did not have so i was pretty much able to do whatever i wanted to the do whatever i wanted on the table which is basically what i did he had a he had only a four-man squad of the chicken walkers which he kind of just ran up the field to get behind me lines and i kind of just like he didn't move them up enough to do anything with them turn one because he did the pregame, even with the pregame move. So he just brought them up uh, turn two to try to get behind me line. I shot at them once in my paladin bomb to kill off three of them, and I left like one alive with two wounds or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'll just finish, finish it off with smites next turn. And I kind of just uh, – it was really interesting because he had three five-man squads of Catapron Servitors, which can be surprisingly tough to kill because he actually took Breachers, which have a three-up armor save. so. I actually had to put more into them to kill them than I thought, but I was able to do it in such a way that he was ever, never really able to shoot at me until I wanted him to. And uh, this is kind of like a uh, theme for my list the whole, the whole weekend is that I pretty much never let one of my opponents, uh, for the most part, never let my opponents get a kill until usually turn three or turn four. Wow. That's ridiculous. Was it, was it partially because you had terrain to work with? Uh, or are they just that tough that you don't even have to worry about it? Part terrain, part toughness. Uh, I'm putting a lot of buffs on the unit to where uh, I guess half, really none of the armies, except for like two, yeah, two of them had uh, stuff that I could actually even try to damage me. It was just, uh, it was just the ignoring a lot of side stuff that could even damage my list to begin with. But, uh, I mean, there was a lot of terrain at the Alamo tables, which part of it was that David spent a lot of the money that was donated by the non-attendee people uh, to invest in terrain. So we have a, there was a, all new terrain on all the tables. It was really awesome. He had these really big, uh, not L's, but they're kind of, I guess, uh, I'm not sure how to describe them other than the fact that they were shaped like the Alamo. And that was really cool to see. So uh, they weren't they weren't magic boxes though. They were basically like uh, they were open on the backside, so like you could walk up behind, you could see behind them and shoot into shoot into them if there was stuff in there. But uh, they basically kind of replaced the corner L's, and there were magic boxes on a good portion of the tables, which helped. But uh, yeah, 
I could have I could have not had magic boxes and just had L's in those corners, and I still would have produced the same results. Uh, as long as I have some line of sight blocking terrain with the paladins, then I don't really have an have an issue with terrain. So you played Admech round one. Who is uh, who is round two? Mm-hmm. Uh, round two was a uh, ultramarine list running Bobby G. Uh, two or three squads of no, it was three squads of eliminators. And but this the this unfortunate thing for him though is that he was running all last fusils on two uh, out of the three guys, and he only had three guys with uh, the bolt rifles, which were unfortunate for him because I bet he. He, he he probably saw my list and was like, "Well, I wish I, I had wish I had them." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the other interesting thing, he had three invictors and three impulsors and three squads of intercessors with hammers inside of the impulsors. So I think the star unit. Oh, and he also had a smash gap with the burning blade uh, and Tigurius and a Phobos librarian. I think the all star unit for his list though were the impulsors. He made those things sappers and basically used their fourteen inch move to have two of them uh, shoot out of his deployment zone and cap the objectives that were in the no man's land to get, uh, what's it? I guess two sapper points a turn. So like by turn three, he had all the sapper points. And he oh, was that's doing clever. After that. That's pretty yeah, clever. And they're, like, and they're really hard to kill. So like, unless I'm, unless I'm like smiting them down. Right. Uh, they have, they're, they're pretty hard to kill. And I actually did smite one down uh, with about, five or six smites to, yeah i was to gonna say that's like a, it's still a lot of more wounds to get through i mm-hmm. mean that's kind of the thing like you can deal with one or two having played thousand suns you can deal with vehicles pretty easily with smites but the big vehicles that have lots of wounds or uh instances where you have mm-hmm. lots of vehicles with those wounds it tends to get pretty annoying because it's just so many you have to go through and you know it's all those ones and twos you roll on your on your mortal wounds right. that slow things down um, but I, I imagine he had the the obvious like four plus invuln shield on the impulsor. Oh yeah, he 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 had the shield dome on all of them. The uh, yeah. the interesting was thing is that when you combine the invictors with that, is that uh, I actually had to stay in my corner until I killed the invictors. And after that, I could actually move out if I wanted to. Um, I pretty much, I think I killed one turn one with out of sign, out of line of sight shooting, and then when he brought the other two up, I smited one to death. And then, like, half damage to the other one. The thing I was worried most about as Invictors were getting too close to me, blowing up, and wounding all my characters. That was the thing that worried me the most. Not, the, not what they could actually do to me, but their explosion. No, definitely be and a then, problem. Uh, pretty, much it, pretty much it was just that. Yeah, I imagine once, once mm-hmm. that was dealt with, you pretty much had the game in hand. And then uh, that was that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the uh, third match? And I assume... Yeah, his, uh, I know we've just kind of jumped right in here, but I assume that the um, the the format was still a three the first three games the first day, two games the second day, or was it just a one day yes, event, or did the, they uh, modify it? No, it was it was it was still a GT. Like uh, we still had the all the GT scoring and everything. The Alamo does their own like special scoring system for overall with the sportsmanship awards, uh, painting rubric, battle points, Alamo points for like turning your list on time and everything. So we, we still had everything judged uh, like you would in a normal out normal Alamo GT with all the uh, overall scoring and everything. Very cool. Uh, and then we had three games the first day with two and a half hour rounds and then two games the second day with three hour rounds. It's really interesting. I think we all finished our first round of like, 
well, no, not the first round, but I think we all finished our second round with like 30 minutes of spare total. So we could have like sped up the first day if we wanted to, but we kept to the same schedule to, yeah. to make sure we stayed on track. Yeah. So then just kind of moving in your third match. Uh, so you're two and zero now, who's your third mm-hmm. match? So my third match is Clifton Russell with his orc, surprisingly. And uh, he was running a pretty, he was running a pretty, a pretty cool orc list. So first thing, if you haven't seen him in person, they're uh, they're painted red, white, and blue with white with the with the white stars. So it looks like the the Texas the Texas flag on them. So it's pretty cool. And uh, he had a pretty interesting interesting take for his orc list. So he didn't run the normal uh, ninety boys or mega knob list or Mech or guns. like huge amount of uh, met guns list. He ran three Morka knots, which uh, I think he was leveraging <laughs> some of the new. Uh, psychic awakening stuff so he had the flashy bits yeah i think it's called the flashy bits where like he makes he gets one of the morganauts to have a four-up shooting which is pretty cool and uh uh-huh. it's funny he said he had that one like walking on legs and he said he wanted to put some truck nuts on it to give it the, the fl- to be the flashy bits i laughed i thought that was pretty interesting <laughs> that's pretty cool oh uh he also he was still running a s- squad of 15 ludas which one of the psychic awakening buffs is he spades the cp before the beginning of the game and he gets to roll 2d6 for his number of shots each time they fire. So yeah. now he's not having to waste the CP every time he rolls a one or a two. He has a much better chance of always firing two shots. Yeah, why not? Or getting that three shots. I was like, wow, that's such a good ability for Ludas. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad they nerfed that whole combining thing down from yeah. 25 to 15 because that ability would be ridiculous on 25. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. That was, I'd be so scared to face orcs. I, I had an L to stand, so I pretty much hid my paladins in there, and I made sure to only kill enough to uh, to get kill more, but I never like exposed myself, so to speak. Uh, it's pretty interesting. He actually did a pretty good job of want, just trying to screen me out uh, with his 30-man and 10-man boy squads, but I was like, well, I'm going to take extra range this match with my chaplain, so I was able to move out of my building, shoot at his 10-man squad, kill it, damage the 30-man squad enough to where he didn't have to take a morale test to kill off more so he wouldn't get the green tide them if he wanted to and to make it and position myself to have an easy uh easier so to speak kill get turn two and it would open up to where my i could have an easier deep strike with my with my uh turn two stuff if i chose to but he was not ready for dynamic insertion which was pretty great so i brought in a 10-man squad of strike marines uh, near his exposed uh what, what, what do you call them? Uh, engineer grot units. And I cast, I casted Vortex of Doom on them. <laughs> and I was able to do five or six mortal wounds into oh the engineer God. squad. That wasn't, that wasn't outside the building. It was the, the other engineer squad that I couldn't see inside the building. I killed six of them off. And I was hoping that I would kill them off with the morale. And then I finished the other, ones, the other squad off with, uh, with shooting from the shooting from the squad themselves so he did not expect that and uh that was pretty cool to get to pull off that i think yeah. dynamic insertion was probably my favorite favorite strat of the weekend because no one could plan for it it's it's really easy to screen out nine inch uh deployment but you're basically now it's you're basically like facing gene stiller cult with the amount of redeployment but they're right. in power armor so they take a little bit more to kill yeah and they put out more damage than gene stiller cult do 
it's just great when whenever your opponent takes engineers and i've been in the mm-hmm. i've been on the receiving end of this where you take engineers and you're like this is great i can just hide my dudes i can just get points every turn it's reliable to work and then your opponent does something that you didn't even think about and your engineers are gone and you realize huh well there's three points off the board or four points off the board that i'm just never going to see like they just yep. like i'm in such a deep hole right now and that's it's really good when you're on the on the sending side of that and you can pull that off but uh, that's pretty cool yeah yeah unfortunately he didn't fail the morale so i was not able to finish off his engineer unit but uh i was i knew i was going to win the game uh pretty early on so i was like you know what let's try it see if i could see if i can pull it off because why not still trying off trying out new stuff uh part of the other reason i played this army was was because i've been playing on tts uh, for 40k and I played in a TTS tournament with my Grey Knights so they were the army I've had the most practice recently which also fueled my decision to take them to the event and uh, that wrapped up day one we actually but a really high point I think of the event is that no one dropped after day one all 28 people came back for day two and all 28 people played their last two games oh that's fantastic that's we had, actually pretty impressive so day two, how did how did your first match go? Day two. Well, uh, I told y'all I was playing Grey Knights, and my second matchup was, or my first matchup of day two was possessed. So uh, oh. I was thinking, I was thinking it was going <laughs> to yeah, be that's that's a, a walk oh, in the park. Oh crap! Yeah, but uh, but my opponent was like, you know what? I know this matchup is going to be bad, so I'm just going to do some weird some weird shit. And I was like, all right. So the first thing he does. The start of his turn one, or at the end of his turn one movement, was he put his possessed, his Alphalution possessed back into Deep Strike. I was like, all right. He was like, yep, gonna make, bet it all on a nine inch charge. Wait. I was like, okay. Well, okay. So, I guess uh, so. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess after the game, I realized my only mistake, or my, my really my only big mistake I could tell from that game, was putting out one squad of Strike Marines um, out on the far side of the table to where his Disco Lord could get to them, and he made the 7-inch charge he needed to to attack them in close combat, and even then, he almost didn't kill them. But uh, that, that screwed me into letting him get a kill turn one. And, so was uh, it, I had, yeah, I was just going to say mm-hmm. real quick on that, is it because he could advance and charge in warp time, or was it just... So he did the pregame move. Uh, so he that, did the pregame move. And then he had the 12 inch move and he warp timed because he had Armon on a disc. So he was able to advance Armon up with the Discord Lord to keep up with it after it moved and uh, yep. pregame move turn one. Yep. Because uh, he rolled, I think he rolled like a three on his advance. So yeah, I think that, I think that worked out. And, uh, and yeah, and if I hadn't let him do that, uh, I would have won the game. But the only thing that kept him in the game. Uh, in my opinion, scoring-wise, was the fact that he could get the bonus every turn so easily. This was the this was the, we skipped mission one in the event, so we played missions two through six in the new ITC packet. So this mission was the five objective one, where the bonus was either holding your opponent's priority objective or holding three objectives. And well, let me guess, the one your guys were at was the one objective he needed to get to. Uh, well, no, he was able to. Con- it was uh, it was not spearhead. Uh, yeah, Spearhead, the uh, the table quarters one, and he was able to have two units on, two, the two backfield objectives for him, and he was able to just push stuff onto the middle objective every turn, 
because he had a lot more units than I did. Yeah. That's where uh, he was easily able to get the, the bonus every turn. So he, and he actually got the bonus uh, okay. all six turns of the game. And so if I'd just been able to stop him once, uh, it would have it would have made it a win in my favor instead of it being a tie. Uh, but it was really interesting because he brought down the possessed turn two to make the Dynance charge. And I was like, okay, well, even if he gets in and I gets the charge in, I'm not really worried. And he proceeded to roll double twos for his charge. And I was like, well, guess those possessed are dead. And on my turn, I proceeded to smite the possessed um, eight times, which killed 16 possessed. Well, that's that's batting pretty good right there because you've at least yeah. pushed him into like a morale check, right? Well, yeah. Uh, I didn't want to even leave any of them alive because even four possessed can still be pretty annoying to do us. So I just yeah. – I had to bring down uh, two of my strike squads to smite them. So I just had the strike squads shoot them with silencers and they were doing flat two damage at that point because I switched from the extra smiting tide to the extra damage t- uh, tide. So – I had strength five, two to four damage silencer shooting at them. So between those two squads shooting at them, I was able to finish off the last four. And uh, I was able to kind of push forward after that. But it was pretty interesting. He uh, he kept using his Derrideos because he had two Derrideos with the Greater Havoc Launcher, the one that ignores on a site, uh, shooting, at the, shooting at the squad I would try to put on the other side of the table to cap an objective. So it was pretty much a back-and-forth fight, I guess. Uh, over the middle of the board to try to see who would keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really able to get at his engineer squads this game, which were, was unfortunate, which I think that was another uh, place that I could have um, won the game. But uh, I was actually in the six-point hole going into bottom of turn six because I had sec- the second turn. I went second. And uh, I pretty much had to get – in order for me to tie it, I had to get two ground control points, which I'm finding more and more I'm taking ground control of my Grey Knights, and I hate it. Uh, I don't like doing it because of the way list design <laughs> works and uh, the secondaries work for yeah. ITC now. So I had to get the two, the two ground control points. I had to kill one, hold one, and kill more. And I had my six points because I knew uh, And then I was able to and then tie on holding more. And I was able to get – he had put a Derrideo onto one objective on the quarter op, uh, uh, next to mine uh, to where I could not have – whatchamacallit uh, – gated a squad onto that objective. If I had, I would have been able to win the game that way. And I would have just double-moved my Paladins from the, cor- the table court I was in into the middle of the field, kept a character there, and got another point on that other objective. I would have won – because of hold more but uh i realized oh if i just jump my paladins in the middle of the board i kill off the the sorcerer of two wounds left and kill off the cultist squad and uh sitting on the objective in the uh building because they were up on the second floor so i could shoot at them that would tie me the game so that would been that would that was a lot more easier than uh no sorry not a not a cultist and obliterator so i had to jump them up there shot everything i shot all the heavy weapons into the into the obliterator kill him finish him off because there's only one left and uh and finish off the cultists with storm bolters and i was able to tie the game that way so um i know a lot of people were saying online like oh like colluding tie but i was laughing because we weren't we aren't really on the same team uh texas just is all banded together itc wise for 
the team the team's sake. And uh-huh. I know Blood of, Blood of Kittens was like, oh, teammates colluding on a 29-29 tie. I was like, uh, yeah, not really. We don't even really know each other that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you were able to pull off a whole bunch of stuff there at the end to just basically eke out a tie? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, even though I still had like a thousand points on my army and he only had probably like a 500 points at most. I don't know. How much do Derrideos run chaos wise? I think it's like 200 points, something like that. If you, if okay. you fully upgrade them and it depends on what, what guns you take on. Okay, them. Yeah. I think it's maybe, maybe in the high right. 100, something like that, but it's about 200 points. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, I think my major, my only real issue with that, uh, with that game is that I didn't move out early enough. If I had moved out one turn earlier and been more aggressive on my fifth turn, I think I would have won the game overall. But, uh, it was nice. He only got one point off of me for gangbusters. And uh, if I just made this save, if I just made one more save on my paladins, he would have not gotten get that one gangbuster point, which also would have got me the win. So there was many points of slight failures, slight miscalculations on my point that gave away the uh, win instead of instead of the tie that we did have. But uh, it all worked out in the end, I guess, because uh, ter- game five, uh, following following round four, we all went to lunch. And uh, there was a guy there that actually brought four Baneblade chassis tanks for his list. Oh my God, that's why? All, that's, <laughs> that's all he ran in his list. And you know what the craziest part is? He did not even have a shadow sword in this list. He had a Bane hammer, <laughs> like a doom, a doom blade, and a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, I was like, wow. And like, which, please, which, please tell me he was 4-0 at the end of round four. Please. <laughs> uh no he so he lost round four mm-hmm. and i think this this was the only point of drama you could say in the event uh because the guy who was playing against misplayed his uh misplayed his list with uh i don't want to call him out because like he he was he was still new to the list but uh his, yeah he made a he mis- was playing like a dumb mistake. he made a mistake uh he was playing as if his lord of skulls had the alpha legion minus one to hit ability and then when you combo that with one of the Dark Apostles being minus two to hit uh-huh. um, oh, man. on the Lord of Skulls, that's really hard to deal with when you're BS4, uh, yeah. BS4 guard. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, so that was after the game. Uh, the guy, I think the guy playing guard was also relatively new, so he didn't know any better. But That's uh, an easy mistake to make. Yeah. I think, so, I think we've all been there. So Yeah, so going in round five, I would have played the Lord of Skull Lord of Skull list, but uh, because of all the because of that drama, I guess if you can even call it that, uh, I wasn't switched to the right person. But uh, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have changed because the the person I was supposed would have would have supposed to have played uh, didn't even want to play me, and he said he was going to concede. So I didn't want that. But uh, I played. We ended up me and the Lord of Skulls guy ended up playing because what their decision was instead of making him drop because we were having a really, it was a really chill event and uh, laid back. Uh, they made it to where they dropped his score down from a, a win to the other guy's score and have it a tie. So, which they, which at the time they felt that was the most fair thing to do. And it, and it made all, all parties involved happy. So that was good yeah. that uh, yeah. it did not escalate and it just stayed uh, low key okay. as possible. So, yeah. uh, so now I'm facing a triple Lord of Skulls list uh without without minus two to hit game which three. is kind of like what do you do there right like you can smite but 
are you going to, you better kill the thing, right? Uh, smites and shooting. So yeah. there's a really cool strat called bring down the beast with gray knights. After you target, after you have one gray knight unit, target a vehicle or monster unit for two CP, all my other gray knight units now get to reroll wounds against that model. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. That's going to hurt. And I just have to hit to make that strat, that strat to go off, which is <laughs> right. the best part. You're right. And uh, he is not running the... And it's nice because he was not running the Iron Warrior version of this list. The Iron Warrior version of this list would have been much better versus my list because he can put a... I can't remember if it's a five or six up uh, against Mortal six Wounds up. strat. Six yeah, up it's a six against up. Mortal It's Wounds. just any... I think it's any, any yeah. phase. You can just one CP, six up mm -hmm. on any Iron Warrior in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, basically, I was able to, I think I, no, I did 19 wounds. No, sorry. 17 wounds to one Lord of Skull turn one. I didn't get a kill because that was the only right. thing I could reach with my army. Turn two, I did the exact same thing. I shot that one to death. And then I did enough smites with all my squads coming down turn two. I think I did like five smites for 20 mortal wounds into the second one and then i had all their uh all their shooting take off the last eight wounds because i was doing uh my all my d3 silencer shots into that one after that after that and i was able to take two out in that in that turn and uh that 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 pretty much did the deal but uh i would imagine once once two out of the three lord of skulls mm -hmm. are gone at that point the game is at least solidly in hand right oh yeah but the interesting thing was is like he still had a chance in the game because he had a scorpius on his list which was an interesting choice as a chaos player. Good God. Along with like, three dollar skulls. What did he have points left for? Like one cultist unit? Like he had two cultist units, a seven man chaos space rain unit, a sorcerer. No, sorry, not a sorcerer. He had a dark apostle and a master possession and a disco lord. That was an entire list. But I mean, you have to remember the Lord, the Lord of Skulls are severely undercosted at four hundred and thirty points apiece. Well, they've come down a little bit, right? A lot. a lot. They've come down a lot since the edition started. I think what? Uh, I think before this update, Mike, yeah. they were like, what, like 550 or something like that? Yeah, they were about as expensive as the big knights um, before right. the points in, uh, reductions. They right. were and, and now they're like, like a couple hundred, almost 150 points, I think. Right. Because at yeah. 430 right now, uh, with all the updates from uh, Faith and Fury, they're super good right now. Uh, I, I think they're probably one of Chaos's top builds right now, in my opinion. I mean, we, we were just talk, chatting about this earlier uh, and the fact that there's, there's mm -hmm. folks that have run like three of them for a while and that they're just, I mean, they're ridiculous. It's just three really hard to kill things that as you kill them, they get better. And mm -hmm. once they get to you, it's game over pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're, their weapon skill and blue skill don't degrade. So you have mm -hmm. three mo you have three models with basically two two shooting weapons like a knight, but you also get a melee weapon, and their shooting never degrades. So and they're always going to be heading on two up because of the disco lord near them. So you have two up rerolling ones shooting that never degrades that puts out as many shots as a uh, as a thermal cannon and a avenger gatling cannon, but at better stats because it's strength eight minus two two damage. Mm -hmm. instead of strength six and then the other one's like a like a like basically like a better auto cannon yeah and then they still have the big cleaver which is like a 
basically, I think it's like a Reaper Chainsword, but it's probably yeah. a little stronger strength-wise, right? Yeah, yeah um, I want to say it's, it's like flat three off, or flat four or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and just the, the the thing about it is that as they lose wounds, they get more attacks, but the strength mm-hmm. on the cleaver decreases until right. eventually it becomes like strength five or six or something like that. Right, but it's a demon engine, so for one yeah. one CP, oh, uh, hey, I'm rerolling all my wounds. wounds. Yep, <laughs> and hits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was the <laughs> other thing that was nice. Uh, his shooting wasn't quite as crazy. Uh, as the Iron Warrior version is because the Iron Warrior version, you can have like exploding hits and on sixes and exploding wounds on sixes for additional mm-hmm. shots. And uh, he didn't have that. So he actually left over like he, he split his shots between both guns into two different uh, granite units, which was smart because he was trying to like get rid of as many smites as possible. But because of, like the D6 shots, he was liable to leave one or two alive. But if he had had exploding sixes and exploding mm-hmm. sixes to, uh, to, for hit and wound, he might not have left uh, those units alive because I think there was like two different units he left alive of like one to two models. And if he had the exploding sixes, I don't think they would have stayed alive. Yeah. Which then it's another four wounds back to him because I'll just smite him on a four up for four, for four wounds. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like overall the event was pretty good. You had a you had a good time. Um, had a pretty good result there. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. that's basically what four zero and one, right? And, yeah, four zero uh, and one. And the uh, and the guy the the guy that I tied against he actually he won on top table versus uh, Colin Coons, mm-hmm. but Colin was able to basically hold him to enough points to where he couldn't jump me in battle points. So I was actually able to uh, get first in battle points for best general. So I got my little Bowie knife. Nice. Finally, finally got one. I've been wanting one of those, but never, uh, never got the top prize. They for give that. away and, good prizes there. I will say. Oh that. yeah, the uh, the prizes were. Uh, he gave a wet palette away to the best sportsman, I believe. Like one, of the nice like fifty dollar wet pa- wet palettes you can get, like one of the high end ones. Yeah. Um, best overall got a start collecting scions and a Scorpius Dune 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 Rider uh box um what was it army it was like a big mega army painter set for best for best painted or slash player's choice mm-hmm. and then myself for best general uh oh along with overall and best general we got the Bowie knives uh, i just got three boxes of strike squads which was i thought was kind of funny to get more <laughs> more gray knights after playing with gray knights so what's your what's your take looking at the meta and what what you saw show up like Considering the event and, and the timing and everything, it's, it's really cool that you guys were able to get an event going. You know, like overall, what's your take on what you saw there, what the armies were? Was it unexpected or do you think that's, you know, if, if it was unexpected, do you think that the armies that you saw there or the list you saw there were more indicative of people just kind of showing up like, you know what, I'm going to, this is the chance for me to run something goofy or mm-hmm. I just want to have a good time or I'm going to experiment a little bit. Um, well, so, you know, a lot of the strong armies, uh, I, wouldn't, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily say all the strongest lists you'd see, but I think like the armies you'll see at more events in the future showed up. So we had Grey Knights show up, which is strong. We had still the, had the Possessed and the Lord of Skulls which, lists, which are the lists I think you'll see in some, some form or fashion going forward for Chaos. Like Those are the, those are the Chaos lists you have to know how to beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was still a Chaos Knight list, which you have to be prepared for. Uh, it wasn't the most optimized version, uh, but he actually ran two Heldricks on his list instead of instead of all the Disco Lords. So that was pretty interesting to see. 
And uh, not that I'm knocking Heldricks. I actually think Heldricks can be pretty good against a lot of Space Marines, which we had a lot of Space Marine players still. You'll, you'll always see that. Uh, the imp- I, think, I think the Impulsor list is still really good. Uh, we had two sister players, I think, one or two. Uh, the sisters player was on table three with, uh, with the Chaos Knight player, and like he barely, he barely lost to the Knight player. So, uh, so, I mean, you'll see sisters going forward going forward for sure yeah uh though and they can run a pretty 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 big variety of builds too so uh it'll be interesting to see what comes out on top there uh i already touched on space marines those dark angels there uh which i think the talon masters can still be good Uh, i just think dark angels suffer overall from not having a very very good psychic awakening book Um, orcs were there uh you might not see the morganaut list but you'll still see orcs at a meta Necrons were there, two lists actually. So if you extrapolate that out to like a hundred person GT, that's about as many Necron players as you would see at a hundred person GT. So there's that you still have to plan for that list. Uh, um, there was no Gene Stiller cult there, which it was funny after ta- after playing against Clifton, he was like, "Man, I should have brought my Gene Stiller cult. Like I would have run all over these tables." Like, "Yeah, man, you should you should have." Uh, I still think people are undervaluing Gene Stiller cult. I still see I still see paying people selling their armies, acting to trade for sisters or gray knights or Eldar or whatever. And I'm like, I just still think Gene Stiller cult can be good, but uh, I just people realize they're not the auto win army that they were anymore. Well, they, since, have, uh, they have a great toolbox. It's just exactly what you just said. It it's mm-hmm. not like I can just walk in and just it's stuff that nobody knows how to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Like people have started to kind of figure out how to how to handle some of the things with it, but it doesn't mean that the army is just complete trash. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah, I, I just think as soon as like the top players, like drop them like a hot rock, uh, not a body and Lennon both drop them for space Marines. Everyone was like, Oh, well the top players aren't playing in them anymore. So they're not good anymore. That's, that was my opinion uh, at least. But uh, you know, I, I, I should, I should caveat that. I think they will suffer now more with Harlequins coming out. Because uh, the Harlo- there's some Harlequin tricks that will just make Gene Steeler cult so, even more irrelevant. So that's probably a good segue because we happen to have a Harlequins player on here with us on the uh, podcast here. And, yeah. uh, we, we were playing, this is probably a good segue because we were playing just as the new rules were starting to roll out and the whole pandemic started to, to become a thing. And mm-hmm. we were running Thousand Suns versus uh, Mike's... Um, uh, Harlequin list. And the thing that was getting really interesting about his list was the fact that, and, and part of this is kudos to Mike's design of his list, but the other part of it is just the fact that the mobility and the um, the toolkit that, that Harlequins actually have, you could more or less try and play a game where you're not, you play non-interactive yeah, you don't rely on do interact with your opponent to get your passives, except your passive income of points. Um, and so, effectively, the, what we was, were seeing is that I could very reliably get all of my secondaries done by about turn three, every game, um, because of the changes they made to behind enemy lines and um, uh, recon in particular. It's just free points for an army that's as maneuverable as that. 
Um, plus with them getting so much cheaper, um, it just was ridiculous. And now I'm looking at this new release. It's like, Oh my God, G- games workshop. You need to stop. Cause I mean, all of the new stuff I'm doing is just incredible for the army. Um, the f- release uh, the leaks that they sent have provided uh, just make me on one hand very excited because I love Harlequins. They're my favorite army. However, it's like, well, now Harlequins are good again. I guess I better switch armies. So what's your take, Colin? I mean, do you think Harlequins are kind of being overlooked right now? Or do you think that there's enough people that see it happening? I mean, you you even admitted you're, you're painting an ar- a Harlequins army right now. Do you think that's the kind well, of thing that we're going to see a bunch of people jump to it? But no, like I honestly, like my thoughts were I, I had all the bikes for a while. I decided to just get the rest of the troops to finish out the army because I wanted to play them for fun some. But uh, and I was also thinking, well, you know, there's always that chance that the other two Eldark factions kind of got uh, the short end of the stick on Psychic Awakening. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, there's a there's a good chance that Harlequins will get the carrot. And boy, they got a they got a, a whole lot of carrot. Uh, I, even even as good as the new rules are, which I think they're really good, uh, people still have to realize they're still T three models for the most part before up safe. Like oh, they're yeah. still yeah. they're still glass cannons. Uh, I think these rules were definitely needed for Harlequins. I don't think they will be oppressive due to the mm-hmm. fact that they're all their tricks are very CP intensive still, mm-hmm. and the more CP you put and try to put into a Harlequin list, the I guess the less optimized it'll be unit wise. And, uh, and I'm, and I think that'll be the limiting factor. that will keep them from being oppressive. They'll definitely get off like their like two to three really good tricks, which they have to make sure that those work. Otherwise I don't think they'll be able to win, but I still think like Mike said, they're still really good now with the changes, the maneuver secondaries. I think they're a really good contender. Uh, if you go like S through ABCD tier, I would probably say they're somewhere around, a tier right now, I, I would say. Uh, I think the I think we'll, we'll tier basically. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I don't think they'll be uh, like primo, like top of the top of the meta or anything like that. But I think we will see some success from some players winning with Harlequins. Uh, I I think what we'll see more of actually is a plug and play uh, Harlequin detachment into yeah. Eldari lists overall. The mm-hmm. uh, characters are what benefited the most from the updates. Yes. Uh, all the characters basically got an, ad- an extra ability mm-hmm. uh, that they can put onto their their current abilities. Which, in a lot of a lot of times, I would just take one of the new abilities. But uh, those added into other Eldar lists, like the Eldar characters across all the factions, are really lacking. So uh, yeah. the the Harlequin characters give them give them a lot of utility that Eldar lists were missing before. And I think we'll see that more often than we will see pure Harlequin lists, which I'm, I'm hoping to run a pure Harlequin list, which while I do realize that the mixed Eldar Harlequin list will probably be better overall, but I, I kind of want to play a pure Harlequin. Pure Harlequin army is I think that'd be more fun to do. High skill ceiling is my always been always my take on it because uh, effectively because it, everything is so fragile, um, you have to be very precise in how you play it. But uh, it's a hell of a lot of fun, and you can. And I enjoy the ride uh, whenever I get the opportunity to play them. Oh yeah, I've uh, I've been playing in a in a TTS league with Harlequins only, and I've played the same list every game with them because I want to bring mm-hmm. that whole tournament mindset of like, oh, I'm only going to get to use one list. So that's what I've been doing yeah. with them. 
I've really enjoyed it. But yeah, Mike, you're completely spot on with the, uh, with, with what I found is like, you pretty much have to play the army perfectly in order to win mm-hmm. or, uh, or like even get close to winning because you have to know when it is the right time to commit or not. And yeah. when you, and when, when you're okay with using or losing units, so, Colin, you were talking about uh, playing a little bit of TTS there. Um, what's been your, you know, your mm-hmm. take so far on on Tabletop Simulator and how's that how that's kind of helped with you know with everything that's been going on? Uh, I think it definitely helps the stir crazy a lot of war gamers have felt right now with uh, with forty with forty k tournaments and you know like just social distancing in general, uh, uh, kind of shutting everything down. Uh, I think it's been great to be able to play people I wouldn't normally get to play against. Uh, I've played against people all across the country and in a couple other countries on TTS that I played in a TTS tournament, but uh, it's definitely not a substitute for normal 40K. Uh, yeah, I was uh, going to ask, like, this is probably the first time you've gone into a tournament, but having come from, like, basically playing TTS mm-hmm. games, did you find that you got a benefit out of playing that the TTS games? Like, Yes, yeah. it, uh, it definitely kept my skills sharp, or sharp uh, but... <laughs> it uh it's definitely not a definitely not a replacement for normal 40k unless you just want to practice with like instead of not proxying but i, I don't like how long the game the, the games take is on tts because like a normal two hour or two thousand point game you could probably finish in two and a half to three hours with tts it takes like a minimum of four hours to play a two a two thousand yeah. point game and that's if that's if both people know what they're doing um mm-hmm. i in one of my league games my opponent didn't really know the rules very well and was still trying to like look up stuff. And I'm like, well, that takes even longer and everything. And if yeah. they're, if you're not familiar with how the controls work for TTS, that causes issues too. Uh, even, even after playing like four to five games with them, I still mess up and it's so much harder to, uh, to convey what you're trying to do with the, with the computer. Whereas in, in like real life, you can be like, okay, this is what I'm actually doing and show them. Computer, computer uh, engine might always cooperate. Well, that's probably a good point for us to just kind of reca- uh, like cap off our tournament talk a little bit, and maybe start to transition a little bit more to the thousand side sun or thousand suns side of things here. Colin, I've got to I got to ask you as you know joining us as a guest here tonight. Have you ever played Thousand Suns? You know, like what do you know about the army and what's your take so far on them? Well, I've played against yours, uh, not with the uh, not with the updated uh, ritual of the not, damn stuff. That's not saying very much, though. Let's be fair. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's not the best show in there. So, so I think uh, what is it? Cult of Magic or Cult of Duplicity? Or I think mm-hmm. are the, those are those are the two standout cults to me, and I think we'll see more often than not out, rubrics rubrics plugged into a uh, another detachment or another like uh, part of another army to kind of benefit from the new thousand sun rules. Cause what I've already been seeing is people instead of running like double possessed bomb or like the minus four to hit disco Lord with the possessed bomb behind them, I'm starting to see the list where they take that 20 man rubric block, rubric block and put a two up in mold on them to kind of like conceal their possessed with that first trying to yeah. make sure that they don't die. And uh, I, th- I think that's probably the best use of the thousand sun stuff overall right now that I've seen. I'm sure there's some other stuff that are good. That's good out of there. But uh, I think that's, I, been, I feel like they get without a doubt. In the psychic phase still. Yeah. With, without a doubt. I mean, the rubric, the rubric, uh, you know, has mm-hmm. been kind of like the, 
the, <laughs> the main focal point of the community right mm -hmm. now and, and whether it's worth it or not. And I think people just haven't gotten enough games in to know whether this is actually worth it or not. So I'm going to need to stop you right there. See, you <laughs> used the rubric thing earlier and I didn't catch it. Now I understand that that's a pun and I feel kind of dumb now. <laughs> I'm okay. glad I've been included in this joke. And now I can add that to my lexicon of 40K puns. Thank you, sir. <laughs> You're very welcome. I will officially bring next for our next game. I'll officially bring a brick and I will throw the brick on the table. And be, this is my rubric. So yeah, make sure you write the word rube on the side. That way I get the joke. <laughs> so, so what I was saying, Colin was, you know, is the, is the, 20 man blob of rubric marines that actually viable like can you use it as an offensive weapon or is it really just the kind of thing that you know it's a little gimmicky and we'll see it for a little bit here but it's you know generally not really the best thing to invest i don't know like 400 points or whatever it takes to get your 20 man rubric squad going well uh i mean as we've seen in 40k in the past like i don't know however long anyone's been playing uh gimmicks do work and they have had success so like with all the other gimmicks, I'm sure we'll see success from this. Uh, not everyone will fit, will be able to do well with it because people, some someone will get lucky with it at some events. Uh, playing someone that doesn't know how to fight against it and get and win an event, and people will think, "Oh, it's super amazing!" and uh, everyone will jump on that bandwagon, like everything else in 40k. And uh, we'll see it a lot, but I actually think it's still pretty solid despite that. I mean. Anytime you can give a unit a two-up in one, it's really good. And like they still, and it's solid shooting. It's not like you're just uh, using like a meat shield unit that's super buff but can't put out damage. Like with all those minus three or minus two bolters, like they actually have some decent damage output they can do. Plus a psyker, so you can actually, uh, yeah. So like anyone who wants to try to like say like jinx them or do them for Eldar or any other like offensive psychic power to try to hurt them, uh, they can deny that too, which I think is an additional. Uh, uh, bonus for for them over like other screens as well. Do you think it's going to be the kind of thing that just it'll eventually get countered and fade out? Do you think it has staying power? Uh, you know, unfortunately, the way Grey Knights are, I think Chaos will have an identity crisis on figuring out what's good for a while. Because uh, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for Grey Knights, I think Chaos would be just running rampant in the meta right now. Because of the uh, possessed and just the other stuff that people are starting to discover, possessed and the Lord of Skulls, like we've, like there was a Lord, triple Lord of Skulls list back in uh, back at OVO this past year. So like people have already known about it and everything. It's just uh, how long will I just think the coronavirus has kept everyone from really finding out what's good, and so like unless yeah. you're in the know and you can or you can see what is good, you can realize what's good. Like the meta is still evolving, like. Uh, people, a lot, most people I think are going to kind of come out of this, go back to their tournaments, thinking that the meta is still the same as it was back in January and be blown away by the, the, the same people who are winning at the top, having completely different new lists and uh, not, not knowing what to expect, expect. Yeah. So personally, um, I think that the, the 20 man block of river Marines is a, very potent and if used correctly will remain viable. However, it's unwieldy. Um, and so, and difficult to use effectively. So if you put it down in the wrong spot or 
if they it gets out of position, it's very hard to sort of get those points back um, without pulling some tricks. In what situations do you think it works really good? And then in in what situations do you think it's it's better to or it's at a very big negative? Uh, like it's not going to work very good. And when would you essentially like, if let's say you're in the position that you're, you've decided you're going to run the rubric, when would you deploy it at like up in someone's face? Or when is the scenario where you're going to say, you know what, maybe it's better for me to just capital capitalize on the center of the board or, you know, use it to take objectives and just sit on it and say, this is my objective, you know, that kind of thing. We've seen that, you know, Colin with our, with our teammate, Colin Coons, we've seen that, you know, with his, um, I think his red Corsairs, he likes doing something where he teleports like a, a 20 man chaos space Marine unit into the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of thinking through that, like maybe Colin, we'll start with you. Like how would, if you were playing the rubric, what are the armies that, you know, would present an issue and how would you tackle it? If you're playing that, that big 20 man block of rubric Marines. Uh, I think Green Knights would pose a pretty big issue for it, uh, not just because of the smites, which will uh, will overpower the rubrics, I think, and also the possessed afterwards behind them. But uh, Green Knights can pack a lot of multi-damage weapons into their list as well with the silencers, which uh, rubrics don't get the all-is-dust rule against, which I think is another point against them in that matchup to where you would probably want to start at a line of sight and not be so aggressive with that. Uh, and then... Other than that, I think they're uh, I think they're fine for you to push them up in like people's faces for most ever matchups. I think because uh, yeah. I mean two up two up involves is really hard to do with, and uh, I think they I think they give a really good answer for chaos players against the uh, space marine artillery style lists as they're really hard mm-hmm. to chew through to keep people yeah. from getting to the possessed afterwards versus like the Lord Lord Discordant, which is like yeah it's minus four to hit, but eventually they'll re-roll enough sixes to kill it. I mean, the only other thing I'd really add to that is the only thing I, other thing I'd be concerned about with a unit like that is an army that can just walk away from it. So the idea being that, so you push the army up on a maneuverable army. Well, okay, I'm just going to move away and kill everything else. Um, so that would be the other sort of poor matchup for it. So you, we need to play them a little more defensively. Yeah, like Harlequins. Yeah, that's his yeah, exact much. thing. <laughs> so pretty much what you guys are saying is if I'm facing either of you two and I'm running the rubric, I pretty much should just like not run the rubric. If well, I'm, no, that's if not I'm what I'm saying. Right. I'm just saying that you'd have to reevaluate how you're using them, use them a little more defensively and in a way that sort of counters what we're trying to do. So, for instance, versus Harlequins, keep them back next to the rest of their army until effectively wait for me to engage and then use them for their intended purpose. Okay, fair enough. I will put a, I will put a caveat on that. I don't know if the, the strat works this way or not, David, but uh, like against like the Harlequins, I would probably do like that whole sneaky deployment thing with the rubrics to try to get them up in the Harlequins player's face first turn to force them to deal with it. Or you just run out of the deployment zone. You're talking uh, about the infiltrate one. Them. Yeah, the infiltrate strat. Yeah. So the the big yeah, thing. Yeah, the infiltrate one. I think the big thing a, that most people are seeing. Yeah, with the combination there is that I can take my 20 man blob and pregame I can infiltrate them up in your face, 
And then what that lets me do is the fact that if they don't move, there's now a stratagem that essentially lets me like double shoot them more or less. So instead of yeah. two shots, I'm getting four shots per guy. And I can pretty much do that at about a 24 inch range. And so the, so it's a lot of AP two one damage shots, but the reality is, is like one damage. It, I mean, against Mike's Harlequins, that's really great because you know, it's making him make a lot of four up saves and eventually he's going to fail those saves. And yeah. I just over, I overwhelm him with firepower, but you know, in cases where you've got multi wound units, that's the kind of stuff that it's kind of like, all right, great. I, I killed three guys at the end of the, well, the whole shooting phase. And you're kind of sitting there going, well, that didn't work. That wasn't really exactly worth 400 points investment in throwing, you know, not just 400 points, but 400 points and two, two CP uh, putting the unit up there and maybe even three CP if I use veterans, veterans of the long war. So it's kind of more of a, you know, it, it almost seems like trying to figure out if you're able to outmaneuver me, then putting, putting my rubrics up in your face is probably not the best idea. Um, but if you're in a position where it's kind of like, um, like gray Knights, for example, where again, you're going to be able, you're going to be able to outmaneuver me. I could go into your face, but it's really more scenario based, right? Like if there's an objective I need or something like that, or am I, am I thinking that both of them should be just handled the same way? Actually, I think, I think you want to kind of put them up in the, against the granite player space. If you can uh, get them in the middle of the board, and uh, keep them s somewhat hidden. Uh, I think they'd be great to then uh, get them to move up first turn or really second turn and have the possessed re-come back down behind them. Now now you have the possessed, uh, I guess, kind of positioned for a turn three charge concealed by the uh, rubrics turn two, and now your possessed can actually attack me turn three and get there. Yeah. So I actually think I actually think that's viable in that situation. Use the infiltrate strats and not just put them nine inches away from my deployment zone, but basically take the middle of the field away from me and uh, force keep me in my corner, I guess, so to speak. And so I can even possibly take something like recon or something like that, or king of the hill, and I've got king of the hill, at least that or something else that can get in there and yep, just hold that middle on you. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Or sap. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Colin, what's your, um, I mean, overall, like if you're looking at gray Knights versus thousand sons in that matchup, you know, what's mm -hmm. your take on, you know, I, I, I heard you kind of mentioned it a little bit in there. I think gray Knights have, I think gray Knights have the edge in that matchup because they don't, they also, they get plus one to cast and plus one to deny on all their, and all their psychic tests. And they, I can do 3d6 den denies and 3d6 casts on key powers that I want to want to do. How how much of that like factors into like, let's say they bring Magnus and Aramon, um, you know, how much of that factors in if it's like, you've got, I mean, great. I get it. You've got plus one cast and plus one deny. But if I, let's say I'm able to just absolutely drown you in Zangors, like turn one, uh, like I've got a DMC on you. Um, turn two, I've got, you know, a deep striking unit on you. And in the background, I've got Magnus, who's doing these huge smites. I've got Infernal Gateway. I've got the the nuking, you know, Mortal Wound Terminator Sorcerer coming down. Um, how much of that stuff is actually going to work against Grey Knights? 
Uh, all of your smiting powers that need line of sight are not going to work. Um, and I think as soon as you expose Magnus, he will die. Uh, because I'll just have four units come down and smite him. Well, maybe more. I'll probably have to bring more. You'll have to be, you'd have to be really cagey with Magnus. So he wouldn't be able so, to really, uh, like the sling, for you because... So basically the slingshot, the slingshot strategy has to be used against Grey Knights, right? Where you, you, you basically fly him and advance him up and then warp time and advance him back, right? And then you shove him back behind the line. Uh, yeah, pretty much. You'd have, to, you'd have to do the whole, I guess not fire and fade, but smite and fade. Fair enough. You know, in a in a in the grand scheme of things, do you think that um, you know, just in general, like my my approach was to say, okay, look, let me just play Thousand Suns mono this year. Um, I don't know how much that approach is going to do in terms of like just overall scoring, but do you think that that's still viable to do? So when you say mono Thousand Suns, do you mean like mono Codex Thousand Suns, or do you mean like mono Thousand Suns plus Forge World? Uh, yeah, Mono Forge World, because where in your tiers list, like if Grey Knights are pushing that A tier right now, like that top mm -hmm. echelon, they can they can go win tournaments. Where do Thousand Suns fit in your in your mind right now? If I was to say, hey, I'm going to run them as th uh, the faction Thousand Suns. A Mono faction? Uh, probably like B minus. Yeah, that'd maybe be pretty much right. C plus. And you're I think talking yeah. about who else is kind of in that category, just for reference. So uh, if we're going like pure codex, then I would say mo like um, Dark Eldar like, and uh, Craftworld might fall into the upper B tiers. They're good, but they're very mono build. Um, so they have one or two lists that perform very well. Um, some of the... Uh, alternative space marine codexes yeah i mean like you'd probably be around where like salamanders and pure ultramarines would be i guess um because i mean like you have to realize like you're gonna have to compete with all the soup lists which are still pretty strong uh because now especially like uh souping different space marine chapters like yeah there's no point to worry about your doctrine bonus because you're either getting it for one turn or it's going to be so late in the game that it doesn't that it also doesn't matter, uh, i.e. the Assault Doctrine, because you're going to want to be charging stuff by turn two or three. Yeah. And uh, it's not going to matter either. So, like, the reason why you're only, like, a B minus C plus is because you have to compete with all the super factions that can soup and pull off a lot more different combos than a pure Codex can. And you think that the Mortal Wound output of, like, Smites and things like that just isn't enough to, to overcome the weapon or the offensive output that those armies have, right? I mean, the main thing there from my perspective is that, so if we compare uh, Thousand Suns to their Imperial counterpart, Grey Knights, Grey Knights, their smites have shorter range, but they can deal way more damage per smite than Thousand Suns can because the limitations on... Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing is um, that Grey Knights might can actually be just the same range as Thousand Suns because I can actually make all my smites <laughs> be a 24-inch smite if I wanted to. Ah, well, okay. There you go. So let me let me maybe approach this from a little different angle. Let's say you're facing Thousand Suns. What are the things you don't want to see on the table? Probably, probably whirlwind scorpiuses. Really yes, interesting. Ignore, yeah. So I can shoot you and hide out a line of sight. You can't do that to me with just Thousand Suns. I, I can do that with my base codex. Uh, 
you have to take Forge World, a Forge World unit to be even, even be able to do that. Because I can ignore your cover, and I can yeah. shoot you from out of line of sight, and I can also make it to where you don't have all this dust. So you're not getting this, the, in, the cover save benefit, and you're not getting the all's dust save benefit versus my shooting. Mm-hmm. And you can't hide from me. You can stay out of, out of range of me, but if you're staying out of range of me, of me then you're not spiting me, and you're also not shooting me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I, I guess that's the, the, that's the way I see it. And uh, honestly, like, I feel like if you put Magnus on the table, unless you play him very cagey to keep it to where I never kill him, He's not going to be doing a whole lot because as soon as he pops out to where I can put my guys out there to smite him. Oh yeah. Without a I will, doubt. I will, I will force it as many smites as possible to try to kill him off. But it sounds like it's completely viable. Like it, almost to the point where it's going to be a good matchup. If you're gray Knights and I'm running Magnus and what I'm doing is slingshotting. I'm like, I put him up, you know, I, I smite and fade like you, you, you named it. And that, that, that becomes a problem. Yeah. I think it, part of it depends. Depends on who goes who goes first and who goes second, and the end of deployment. I think that plays a factor in it. Um, mm-hmm. I I guess David, uh, to put it to you another way, on the way I view Thousand Suns, I think I view them as basically slightly less durable custodes, but with psychic powers because you can be really really durable with like your two up end volns, which uh, custodes are really good at with their T five three up end uh through and models that can cap objectives really well. But you have the added benefit of having some utility with all the offensive smites, which Kisotis would have close combat viability, but instead you're switching it for psychic power output, and uh, you have a little bit more maneuverability with the new cult powers, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. If that, if that puts it into more perspective to you on where I view them in the terms of the meta, they're basically psychic Kisotis. If I would, let's say I was playing, I was just getting into the game and maybe I'm getting into the game as a thousand suns player. What do you think would be a, um, something that players tend to quote as the way to do something, or let's say it's like a quoted, um, principle as of playing the army or, um, playing the game in general that you think is a trap. Uh, Mike, how about, how about we start with you? Like it can either be thousand sons or it can be in just general and playing the game. What do you think is a trap right now that people generally get convinced or get taught as a, as a general, like, Hey, this is good. You should do this. But you know, the more you play the game, you find out, you know what, that actually isn't the best thing to do in the world. That's a tough question. So the thing that immediately came to mind for me is and this needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, I have some bias here. But going online to look for a list uh, is something a trap that a lot of people starting out will fall into, uh, primarily because what will happen is you don't know the intricacies of the list. Um, and so what can happen is that you, if you, you, all right, I'm going to start the game. Let's, and your, your buddy says, okay, oh yeah, go online. You can find these awesome lists. These are the lists that are doing well. So you go out, you buy your list and you put it together and you paint it. And what if you are, you wind up actually buying a list that is either super specific to the tournament that it won or is very meta or in particular, extremely difficult to play. Um, and so those are all things that can 
greatly sort of impact the morale of a new player because they wind up with this list that they spend all this time and this money on. And then it turns out that they, for whatever reason, it doesn't perform the way that they expected it to. Um, and so uh, the counterpart to that is effectively, if you're still new to the game, sort of step into it slowly. That way you, you grow with your army as opposed to trying to jump in head first. Do you think something like the escalation leaves are a good, a good way to really get going with that, where you start with units that you have to use because you're limited on points? Yeah. So the escalate, I think an escalation league um, for a new player is a godsend. Um, I, I do think that a lot of escalation leagues, they, their pacing is a little too fast for a new player to keep up with. But the fact that you can slowly build your army over time and sort of learn the army as you, the weeks go on is much more valuable in the long term than sort of dumping straight into like a tournament on a weekend. Um, the one thing uh, Games Workshop used to offer that was really good was they had the game, the, the academy. So where effectively you, like there were the classes on Sunday where they could, you go in, they show you how to do every aspect of the hobby, like everything from putting your models together, how to paint them, like how to take care of your models, then how to play. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of, they don't really offer that anymore in the same capacity because they only have the one-man stores. And so uh, I think a lot of, I've seen lots of new players start the hobby and have no idea what to do and because there's no one to sort of guide them through the process. All right. Colin, what's your take on that? Uh, well, first to extrapolate kind of on what Mike said, uh, I completely agree. With the whole, uh, gosh, just lost my train of thought. The uh, pl- the Netflix, not just going out, idea. yeah, not just going out and bu- getting a Netflix, and uh, not Netflix, but uh, Netlist, because <laughs> a lot of <laughs> what a lot of people don't realize is that even if an army's good, uh, it might not suit your play style. Like myself, I don't like pushing around a horde army. I mm-hmm. don't like pushing around that many models. I I prefer to be a lot more intricate with my movement and I don't think I can keep up that pace with a lot of models. So that's why I tend to gravitate towards more smaller model count lists, such as like gray Knights or uh, Custodes. So that's, that's my, that's my uh, train of thought is that you still have to find an army that fits your play style. Cause everyone likes their certain type of play style, whether it be like kind of like a more tricksy approach with Eldar, uh, a lot of maneuverability, getting around the board, uh, fooling your opponent or you like say like orcs or corn or nids where you just want to like kind of smash into your opponent and kill as much stuff as possible or you want to be well-rounded like a space marine player and be able to do a little bit of everything so maybe just kind of uh zoning that in on just like chaos let's say i'm playing chaos or a thousand suns in general like colin what what would be your your feeling on what you think chaos or thousand suns players get as a kind of like a trap that they tend to fall into. Or if, if you face those players, what do you see them doing? That's kind of like a common thing, but that they could probably do a little bit differently and not have that be a problem. Um, I guess it's kind of a tough question. Um, I guess taking a lot of cultists, I don't think cultists are good. I really feel like you need to take uh, chaos space brains to be, to have uh viable troops because they can actually not just die to a specific breeze 
Uh, but that's, that's my fair. personal opinion. That's fair. And they don't do much in, in return, right? Like cultists yeah. on the table, no. you're just kind of looking at like, all right, it's a bunch of bodies that are over there and they don't, re- it's almost like plague bearers, right? Like, exactly. Not, not I, even, <laughs> not even plague bearers. Are fair yeah. enough. Sometimes. <laughs> fair enough. But, uh, so I, and you know, another thing that came to mind, Colin, when I was, you know, hearing you guys talk about this a little bit, like, mm-hmm. When I look at Thousand Suns and I look at them competitively, I, you know, the thing I try to figure out is what's holding them back from being an army that, you know, has the tools it needs that someone can come along or a bunch of people can come along and and play them in tournaments and, and have a chance at winning the tournament overall. Like, is there, are they overcosted in general? Uh, is there, is the formula that they're using or the formula that the army has right now, just something that just doesn't match up with what the meta is really strong at. And so they're kind of this oddball army that just doesn't have the things they're really good at. Just doesn't solve the problem right now that the meta is trying to present to everybody. Mm, Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good uh, estimation of kind of where they're lacking at. I mean, like you have like, they don't really have a, I guess per se, as good as innate buffs as like the gray knights do on the counterpart where uh i mean sure they get the extra range but and they don't get the base extra cast though right only like key units do yeah Yeah. i mean you have aramon you have you have magnus and generally you have your 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 stratagem that lets you get plus two to something so you're more or less dumping your points into your characters right so like so like right there, when you compare them to the Imperium version of Grand Knights, if you want to call it, sure you have more powers access, a little more utilitarian, but like outside of warp time and death hex, there's not really a whole lot of like uniqueness to the powers that uh, Chaos that uh, Thousand Suns have access to. Like a lot of the powers that you're seeing using competitive Chaos Space Marine lists are the Miasma power, which I guess Thousand Suns do have, uh, but they don't have as good a unit as other Chaos Space Marine. Uh, list do to put that minus one to hit on that, right uh, that and really it can only go on one game. unit too right mm-hmm. like you're you're dumping like in the in the chaos possessed list uh which obviously you've played against with our teammate uh york uh you know he's uh, the common mo there is he's dumping lots of stuff into his possessed just like any other yeah. possessed list um, whereas Thousand Suns just don't have a unit where you can really just say, hey, let me jump all these combinations of buffs and stuff like that into. It's usually characters like Magnus or Aramon uh, or Demon Princes that you throw all these things onto, and generally they're easy to dispatch, right? Like you have so, you have smites or you have something that can that can deal with that. Yeah, so I guess that's my main complaint with the Thousand Sun Codex is that like if you look at them, yeah, compare them to Grey Knights. Like they're really good. It's a really good way to compare them so like you have for thousand suns discounting the uh discounting like discount the dreadnoughts discount the extra vehicles and stuff they have like let's just look at the basic power armor and terminator armor uh units they have thousand suns have the rubrics they have the uh aspiring sorcerer but the the hq one they have the terminator sorcerer lord they have armon uh let's count let's count the uh the hq uh, Zangor guys, just for that, right. and then you have the t- Thousand Sun Terminator ter- Terminator unit. So which, what, are, that's, which uh, can we all agree are just absolute garbage right now? Like yeah, terrible I mean, like cult Terminators. Yeah, are they're not good. Terrible. But like, yes. how many how many units was that total? That I just said six. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. and you're not even talking about mutilith vortex beasts. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was, yeah. just just kind of all just this infantry yeah. power, yeah, power just, armor coming. Just like the just like the infantry units. Whereas if you look at the granite units, granites not only have the power armor equivalent of strike squads, they also have terminators as troops. Which we have our melee weapons are better than the Thousand Suns counterpart. We can take uh, well, I guess we can both take heavy weapons, but like we have a lot better. But just based off of our. Uh, I guess well, let's say in shooting they're equal because we have better heavy weapons. We all base storm bolters are better, but our melee weapons are much better because we can get either strength five minus two, one damage, or extra attacks, or an extra invuln extra plus one or invuln melee, or a hammer even, which chaos don't even have that many of in general. And we not only besides that we have the elite power armor unit of purifiers. We have the fast attack version of interceptors. We have the heavy version of purgation, and we uh, and we also have a better elite version of terminators. We have two to three extra. We have three extra terminated characters that Thousand Suns don't have between the apothecary and then two ancients. We also have the chaplains, which Thousand Suns don't have access to. We have the Brotherhood Champion, the Librarian, the Brother Captain, Grandmaster, th- those four extra different types of casters. So we have a lot, we just, on a base unit level, we have much more variety than the Thousand Suns do. Yeah. So do you feel like what's missing from the Thousand Suns Codex is, you know, well, let me just, let me turn that, yeah, variety, but let me turn that on its head. You've got things like the, the Mutilith Vortex Beats. You've got Zangors that were thrown in there. You've got Demon Engines. Like, if you're, let's say you're the game designer and you're looking at this and you're saying, you know what, Thousand Suns, we need to just bring them up, bring them up to a point where, you know, we're obviously not looking to break the game like Chaos or regular Space Marines, but mm-hmm. we need to get them to the point where, hey, if I put together an army, I have options here where I can put it together and put it on the table with you and you're looking at it going, yeah, you have a chance to win this game. So what, are the, look at- what are the kind of things you need to change? So let's look at it this way. Before this edition, Grey Knights didn't have chaplains. But at the start of 8th edition, they got rolled into the Grey Knight Codex uh, as being an option, which they didn't have that before. Well, Chaos Base Marines now have a Dark Apostle, excuse me, which is the Chaos equivalent of a, of a chaplain. Well, there's no reason why they can't have their own chaplain at this point uh, with their own special set of litanies for uh, Thousand Suns plus their... Uh, plus their normal real hits or whatever, which I think would help them. Yeah, uh, You need to basically bring them up more in line with the rest of the Space Marines because you're effectively playing that codex of two units because like even, even then, because like Disco Lords, regular cast Space Marines have Disco Lords, which helps make their Demon Engines better. Thousand Suns don't yeah. have that. You can I mean, easily give them a psychic version of a Disco Lord. Uh, how how game-breaking is that going to be? Yeah, I mean, effectively, if you look at the Grey Knights Codex, they get all of the tools that regular Space Marines mm-hmm. get plus their own psychic stuff. Whereas Thousand Suns get like the most basic of like effectively they share heavy support slots and they have cultists. And then after that everything else is and they don't unique Thousand Suns stuff, but it, they don't get mm-hmm. the same level of stuff that they have no like dedicated power armor fast attack, no heavy support. Yeah. They, they, they don't have the yeah, same I mean, sort of breadth of characters that uh, the other I mean, chaos they, factions get 
they don't even overlap 100% either. It's kind of like... No, they don't. You know, yeah. Chaos Space Marines, they obviously get stuff to... You know, they get the Disco Lord to help the demon engines, right? Well, th- what do you do with Thousand Suns? And, and, you know, I can't even leave out Death Guard because Death Guard's got the same damn problem because they've got these demon engines and they've got nothing to buff them. And yeah. it's kind of like they look at the psychic powers and they just say, well, that's good enough. And you're left in this situation where it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to use those psychic powers on my demon engines when I've got Magnus, I've got Z- big Zangor blobs, I've got Rubric Marine blobs on the table. Like, there's so many better things for me to dump these powers into. Yeah. And you're left in this situation where it's kind of like, well, you've now raised the point of, of Zangor's on me. And I don't have the ability to really take enough of them to, you know, it's not like Zangor's at the beginning of 8th edition where they were really you know, they were, they were a much different beast where, yeah, okay. They're like blood letters. Like they're on that level. Then now they're at eight points a model. They're nowhere near that level. Like they're just kind of a joke at this point. Um, You know, you just kind of throw them into your opponent and hope that, you know, that's enough to take care of what they have on the table or like, you know, you've got your eliminators or your, your uh, Thunderfire cannons in the backfield. Okay, great. I throw them there, but in every other matchup, it's just kind of like, well, you know, I only brought 20 of them or 40 of them and they're, they're a fire and forget model. And then you have the mutilate vortex beast and then you have your demon engines and your, you know, let's not even talk about land raiders. <laughs> I mean, it, there's no options there. There's no, there's no way for you to really take those tools and find a solution to the problem. It's just kind of, you're left in this spinning like endless cycle of, well, this sucks, which makes this suck, which makes this suck. And, you know, I need to dump all these powers into this one thing. So, you know, that was kind of the hard part looking at trying to take a mono thousand suns list and come up with something competitive, like something that I could show up to a tournament and say, you know, Hey, Colin against your, you know, you and I pair up on a table, you know, what's going to actually give me a chance on the table against you. You know, and just as you were pointing out going, you know, who goes first, like if I go first and I've got Magnus, I imagine that's given me an advantage, right? Like that's, that's the kind of thing where I can, I can actually take control of that game really quickly. You could, because you could, uh, on the one hand, you can stop all my powers from going off turn one, keep defensively at least. Right. But, uh, at the same time, you can potentially also lose him. Uh, if you don't, if you aren't able to get off, uh, to get them back in your lines and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, David, I think I came up with a really good analogy for, uh, kind of where stop sunset that. So you have the three kids in a family. You have the Chaos Space Marine kid, the Death Guard kid, and the Zinch and the Thousand Sun kid. We're like the oldest one, the Chaos Space Marine kid gives his hand me downs to the next kid. He gives his hand me downs to the Death Guard kid, and then they get more worn out. And then Death the Death Guard kid gives him down to the Thousand Sun kid. Oh, he, man. Anyways, gets the, the hand-me-down, hand-me-downs, and that's basically where they're at with unit choice-wise. Uh, yeah. Basically, to remedy yeah. that, basically, to remedy that, you have to give Thousand Sun pretty much a complete update with all the new units that uh, Chaos Space Marines have gotten. You need to give them Disco Lords. You need to give them Apostles. They need to get Obliterators. There's no reason that they can't have Obliterators in their army. Um, yeah, I mean, look at it. The fact that they're changing, that would that would be great. They're like half changed in the chaos ones, right? So why is that not great for Zinch? 
Yeah. I mean, uh, I've always no, had a problem with that. There's no reason why you can't make a special, uh, I guess not really so much an apothecary, but like a, uh, I don't know if you call them like a warp, some, some kind of name that with warp in it that, uh, makes it like, they're like a special sorcerer who it basically, his job is to maintain the rubric suits and he goes around and just repairs rubric suits and bring them back to life. Not like an apothecary, but I mean, yeah, but like a, like the, uh, bone singer for Eldar. Yeah, yeah, like a book build are like that's a good that's a unit option that's there. Uh, a thousand sun apothecary would be really good because I mean, speaking from experience, a chaplain that also gets a psychic power to cast is really good. Okay, so that's a good point because you know, in one it, it when you look at the psychic awakening that we got, obviously, as like you point out, cult of duplicity and cult of magic were the two things that were like they're really good and. You know, most armies are probably going to take some com- either one or the other or both. But there are things like Cult of Time in there that have the ability to do things like resurrect Rubric Marines, resurrect Scarab Occult Terminators. Um, are you are you basically saying that those that that falls short of where they should be with like an apothecary? Yes, I believe so. And also, I think uh, I think they kind of missed the mark with the cults. I think you should probably be able to mix the cults in a detachment. If you keep a pure Thousand Suns on you, you should be able to mix cults within a detachment and still get that extra psychic power. Interesting. So you could, br- so if you were, if your whole army, like doctrine wise, let's say your whole army was Thousand Suns, you're saying that throughout my whole army, I could say like, okay, I've got a, you know, I've got a rubric marine squad that's cult of magic and I could just mix and match and choose what I have. Which cult, which cult on each, which unit within your detachment and still get the psych, each site, each cult psychic power for that unit. I think that would have been a not cool fluffy bonus for being pure thousand suns. And is that because I could do something like, Hey, my, my aspiring sorcerers in each of my squads has the resurrecting ability. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. That'd be a good way to put it. Cause then that, then you're not locked into uh, to uh, like just two to three different uh, extra powers. Now you're getting potential all six extra powers, which is what Grey Knights got. Grey Knights got we got extra six extra powers. So I mean, uh, having yeah. those extra powers uh, in your back pocket as Thousand Suns, I think would would have helped a lot. Yeah, and I do agree that the um, uh, because you only get one uh, cult per detachment, it. <laughs> Makes it, it, it de incentivizes people from taking some of the cults that don't necessarily provide a fantastic power plus artifact um, or relic or whatever it's called, um, which leads to certain of the cults being underplayed as a result because they just yeah. they have to compete with how universally useful duplicity and magic is. Yeah, and I think you could have even have left it said like, oh, only if you're. Uh, HQs are from these cults, then you get access to those strats, uh, Willard traits, and relics. Well, that yeah. would have been compromised to having to being able, being able to mix the the powers. Do you think, uh, Colin, if, if I were to look at some of the other units in the in the codex that's there, uh, things like land raiders, um, things like the demon engines, do you think there's a solution to them other than you know updating their their data sheets or are they at a point where they need a fundamental redesign uh well you know 
I, I think you can't really uh, fix them with the way the game's going. They're just uh, – everything's just so killy and everything. I don't know if you can ever make land riders be uh, viable again. Because look at it. Like, you have impulses of four that are basically faster rhinos with four bin bones. Uh, how do you make a land rider compete with that? Survival. Right. And it just has and what's the and what's the purpose of taking a land raider at that point because it's just this big tanky you know eight las cannon dumb looking tank right um the thing we had considered was that what they ought to do is upgrade the capacity so that it carries up to 20. um you know let's say that a land raider gives you the that ability do you think that solves the problem uh so I guess my question is, is what space marine unit are we going to put in inside there to actually work? I guess you could put assault centers in there, but like uh, basic Marines aren't going to work. Right. Right. And so let's say you now have, okay, now I'm looking at say the scarab occult terminators and let's say, you know, the big thing that Mike and I have been talking about is that what they ought to do at their current price point is just say, well, instead of power swords, they all have four swords. Because you're forced into taking that. So if you're gonna if you're gonna say, okay, look, let's not get too crazy here and give them different weapon loadouts. Let's just keep them with the 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 modeled options they have, and let's just make them four swords uh, at their current price point. You know, does that all of a sudden change things? Um, they're still strength four. I think you have to have some way to make them strength five with their weapons. If they if if you just made their four swords, uh, call them something else and make them strength plus one minus three through damage. Now I think you have a, de a decent melee unit. But let's say you could factor veterans of the long war in there. Are you considering that in increasing their strength as well? Uh, yes, and I still think you need to make them strength five. To wow. Make them wow. So that almost, without a doubt, just shows you how far behind the curve those units are right now, right? Like how much further, like for, for what Mike and I have been talking about basically for the last year is that they ought to have four swords out of the box. And yeah. the fact that now we're talking about, well, if we just give them four swords, does that fix it? And we're looking at this going, no, like they've been passed by the power. Even just giving them power or four swords has now, the power curve has passed that point now. Like it just. How are they going to compete possessed in close combat? How are they going to yeah. compete uh, any of the Primaris units in close combat? Only winning on fours. So I can tell you why, because I don't like hitting uh, stuff on fours with uh, strength four stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I, like I want to be able to wound stuff on uh, and like uh, and like I want to be able to wound T seven, uh, T eight vehicles on a five up instead of six ups. Right. Right. And there's no reason. I mean, in reality, for the Terminators not to be, you know, strength five versus strength four. Yeah, I mean, like, j just make them strength five base, and I think you would. Uh, he would be a lot better off. Well, Colin, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we've obviously, obviously been able to talk about, uh, touch on a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and thank you for humoring us on some of the Thousand Suns uh, topics. <laughs> I know that, you know, we're still living in this world of trying to make the best with what we've got. Uh, but uh, Not a lot. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> I mean, competitively, it really isn't right now. No, I will say, the uh, I think, especially for IT players uh i really think uh magnus came out really strong i'm sure you've already touched on it a bunch but uh i think every player even even with the gray knight matchup being so debilitating i still think you take magnus on every one of your competitive lists now yeah 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 you have to because you're so far behind the curve 
the power curve that you need something like that to give you, you know, even if you know that, hey, I'm, if I don't go first, I'm going to lose. Well, at least it gives you an option in the games where you do go first that it keeps you in it and it gives you a competitive, uh, like an, a competitive advantage in those games that, you know, lets you win those games where you do get that opportunity. And plus, Born for Greatness is such a good uh, ability to put on Magnus to let him, when you get your point, <laughs> yeah, getting a liability, it's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, I, I don't want anything to do with Magnus. I'd keep him over there. I'll kill everything else, and then we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of Magnus, and this is probably a great time for us to wrap this up, uh, Colin. Uh, I just want to confirm with you. Did did Magnus do anything wrong? Yes. <laughs> oh, right, we're gonna boo. we're gonna retake that. Did Magnus do anything wrong? <laughs> no. Oh. We're gonna edit that all out. We're gonna edit yeah. the whole thing out. Yeah, Magnus did nothing wrong. Uh, Mike, am I right? Yeah, Magnus did nothing wrong. <laughs>